Father, as we get into some of the more practical sections of the book of Colossians, thank you for instructions, flight instructions. Lord, we need them so desperately. And sometimes when we're on a plane, we tune out that person giving the flight instructions, but uh, we need them, especially if something goes haywire. And in our world, well, every day we face bumpy rides and difficulty and sometimes passengers that annoy us. And <laughs> Lord, oh, we need all the help we can get. And so I just pray that you would give us flight instructions today to uh, navigate this world that we live in and to keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Thank you that we have an advocate on high who is for us and not against us. Thank you that you are on our side and you want to bless your people with uh, blessings of, above what we could even ask or imagine. You are so good to us, Lord. And sometimes we feel so undeserving of your goodness. But thank you that you are patient. Thank you that you are good. And thank you that you want us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. So, Lord, as we talk about how to live the Christian life, and we all need help on this subject, Lord, um, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears to what the Spirit would say to your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you could use some help living the Christian life? Anybody? Okay. How many of you have figured it out? Because I'm going to have you come up here if you have. The Christian life is not an easy thing. Uh, so don't let anybody fool you and say that they have it all together because nobody does. Nobody has the Christian life all together. But we are striving towards, as Pastor Brian put it last week, the ascending life. We want to go higher with Christ. And we know there are things that are constantly dragging us down. And they're difficult things. They're not easy things. Sometimes they seem to be more intensified at certain periods of our lives than at other times. The, the weight of the burden of ourself and our sin seems heavier at times than other times. And we've come to an intersection in the book of Colossians where uh, we're going to have two major themes. They're, they're very simple themes, but they say a lot. One of the ways that the Christian life is captured in living it is what you seek, what you seek. So if you're a note taker, that's just kind of a basic outline. And the second idea or metaphor is what you put on and what you put off. It's a metaphor, most scholars would say, of clothing. So it's about what you pay attention to and then what you put on and what you need to put off. Those are the major themes. And this is picking up something that we looked at earlier in Colossians 2. If you look at verse 6, it says, Colossians 2, 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Colossians 2, 6. Verse 7 says, Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And then a warning. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So chapter 3 is going to really flesh out, if you will, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. How do you walk with the Lord? How do you do this on a Monday morning as much as you would do it on a Sunday morning? How do you fight the good fight of faith? How do you take hold of eternal life? How do you live um, a different life, something that is new and fresh and not like the world? 
Well, we get the opening idea here in chapter 3, verse 1, as we are introduced to seeking things above. It says, if or since, chapter 3, verse 1, and you could translate this either way. Since then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking, this is a present tense, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Of Robert Murray McShane, the devout 19th century Scottish pastor and evangelist, a friend once said of him, the man of whom I speak seemed to have got up to the full height and to have entered into the secret places of the holiness of God. When McShane preached the gospel, you could see strong men, hard and stern, melt as wax before the fire. Their breasts would swell and heave as if they would burst and the whole place become a place of weepers. He learned to live in the heavenlies and to reach souls on earth. I'm trying to learn that as I live the Christian life, how to live in the heavenlies. The Bible says that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the reality of who I am positionally before God. But practically, it is hard to stay in the heavenlies when you live on this planet, right? There's so many distractions. And we are exhorted here in chapter 3, verse 1, to keep seeking the things above. And one of the things that we might want to say right now is we have to keep re-seeking the things of God because we get distracted. Some of you are very focused people, and some of you have those disorders. What do they call those? Uh, ADHD and... You just can't focus, right? Somebody can be talking to you and you're, you got, you're processing about 15 other things, right? Uh, we, we all can have those problems. Sometimes we're trying to minister or focus on a person and it's hard. Guys have this problem if there's a ball game on the television. How many of you wives can understand? What's going on? So I would just, only a few wives can understand. I don't even know what's going on. Anyway, so... There's, there's a time that we got to just put the distractions aside. Multitasking can be beneficial, but in your spiritual life, you want to have a focus on the things above. What are the things above? That sounds very spiritual and kind of like out there. What does that mean, the things above? Does that mean that you spend your life like this? Well, if you do that, you're going to run into a bunch of stuff, right? So I don't think that that's what it means. Although in the Jewish idea Sometimes when they would pray, they would actually look up and pray. We often look down or we close our eyes, but the Jews would often look up as they pray. And so it's this idea of keeping your eyes where they need to be. If you've been raised up with Christ, and as a Christian you have, you've experienced a spiritual resurrection that's anticipating your physical resurrection, we are to keep seeking the things above. I don't think that this really means the throne of God, like physical things. I think this is everything having to do with Jesus Christ. We need to seek Him. The book of Hebrews paints it as a race that we're running. And as we run this race, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. This is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the idea of the Greek there is to look away from other things and to look at Him. If you've ever done any kind of racing in terms of track and field, they tell you to look ahead, don't look down, and don't look back. And there's some famous races where someone had the lead in the closing stretch, and they looked back, and uh, they ended up losing the race because they were so focused on looking back instead of looking at the finish line. Jesus is at the finish line. He's cheering us on. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. I saw a funny video, I think it was yesterday or the day before, there was a, a guy who was running on the... Uh, 
warning track of the outfield. He was going to win some sort of prize at a baseball game. And they had another guy in like this sleek running suit, and he was going to catch him. And this guy, you know, he was basically given this huge head start. So he's on the warning track of this pro baseball field, and he's running, and he, he thinks he's got the lead. And this, this guy that you know, took off way behind him, is catching him fast, but he's so busy thinking he's got this in the bag that he's, you know, waving to the fans and, yeah, I got it. And this guy, all of a sudden, is sneaking up on his left and he's like shocked. And not only was he shocked that he was getting passed, but he fell on his face and did a face plant in the dirt in front of about 40,000 fans. And it kept playing on ESPN over and over again. So that's the kind of fame you want, huh, right? You think you got it in the bag and all of a sudden you're eating dirt. That's kind of how the Christian life can be sometimes, huh? We think we got it in the bag. We're cool. We're fine. No one's going to catch me. I'm good. And all of a sudden we're picking dirt out of our teeth, right? And so we got to stay focused on the race. And it's been said well that the race of the Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And sometimes, you know, we have to just kind of Say, Lord, I don't have it within me. I think this is all the time. And, you know, we talk about when you run a marathon, you got to dig deep for extra stuff, you know. you got to pass thresholds of pain. Turn to Hebrews 11.5, so that he should not see death. If you've ever read the story of Enoch in Genesis 5, it says, He walked with the Lord, and he was not, for God took him. Interestingly enough, it seems like he didn't start walking with the Lord until the birth of Methuselah. By the way, Methuselah's name means his death will bring it. Bring what? Most scholars believe his name means his death will bring the flood. Can you imagine if Methuselah was up playing in a tree? And you know, the moment he dies, the flood's coming. Methuselah's up in a tree. No, get him down. His death's going to bring the flood. Anyway, it'd be a tough life. (laughs) For he, Enoch, obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who, New King James, diligently seek him. Do you know that that verse that we quote all the time in context is about Enoch? That's the flow of the verses. And we always wonder, well, what did Enoch do that was so different than Other people that he had such a testimony and such a walk with God that God took him up. He said, just come up here, man. You're so close to me. We might as well just be hanging out in fellowship. You know what Enoch did that's different from a lot of people? He sought the Lord. He kept seeking the things above. And finally, God said, just come up here because you spend so much time here anyway. Just come on up. You're seeking the things above. And he obtained a testimony that he was a man of faith. Matthew 6, go there for a second. Matthew 6, look at verse 31. Jesus is preaching the famous Sermon on the Mount. And he's telling those who are listening not to be anxious about their lives, which we all need to hear. Matthew 6, 31. And he says these famous words. He says, don't be anxious, 631 of Matthew, then saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? Matthew 6, 32 For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. That's what they seek. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For your heavenly Father knows that, that you need all these things. But, and we all know this, right? Seek what? First, his kingdom and his righteousness. 
And all these things shall be added to you. Go back to Colossians 3. Look, there are going to be other things in your life that you're going to seek. Like you're going to seek employment. You're going to try to make a living. You're going to want to enjoy your life. It doesn't mean that there's not other things that you pay attention and look at as a Christian. But you're to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? And then all the other things that we worry about so often will be added to us. It's about your priorities. It's about what you seek first. What do you do first thing in the morning? Look at verse 2 of Colossians 3. Here's more detail, more instructions. Set your mind on the things above. I think, again, that's a reference to Jesus himself. Not on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind. The Greek word here is phronio. Paul uses it 23 times in the New Testament. It means to exercise the mind to be mentally disposed, intensively to interest oneself in. It means to direct your mind to seek, to strive for. It has the idea, two main ideas to uh, set your mind is concentration and preoccupation. Some years ago, we used to spend a lot of time at the farm in Norco where they do the annual craft bear. And there was this dog that was there, and they had several dogs there. And this dog's name was Sammy. And Sammy was the pine cone chasing dog. He would play pine cone catch with you for a week straight if you would throw that thing. And so he would bring you a pine cone, and that was the beginning of the game. And if you, if you started doing it, this is a five-acre property, you just knew that, okay, you know, Sammy's not going to give up. So he'd come up, <laughs> and he'd hand you the pine cone, and you could hold the thing, and he would just sit there, and his eyes were locked on this pine cone. Nothing would distract this dog from that pine cone. He would just, have you ever seen dogs? They just, <laughs> they don't move. And so he'd just wait and wait and wait. You could have a conversation. You could have a sandwich, a cup of tea, and Sammy would just wait there. And then you just try to throw the thing as far as you could. And Sammy would go on a mission. <laughs> and inevitably, Sammy would come back with the pine cone. Was it the original pine cone that you had? Some of you are asking the question. We ended up putting a GPS device on the... No, I just... But Sammy would track that pine cone down, and he would drop it at your feet, and then he would refix his gaze. <laughs> and he would wait for you to throw the thing again. And he had preoccupation and concentration. In the game of golf, this is what they say the key is. you got to stay concentrated on that little white ball. Right? It's not moving. You should be able to hit it, right? You would think. <laughs> but sometimes, when you're supposed to hit it, something happens to your head. Something like this. <laughs> they say in golf, every time you look up, you see a bad shot. So we say to our friends, I'll tell you what, <laughs> sometimes you know the, whoosh, and they go, that was just a practice swing. This is a Christian league, isn't it? Okay, we'll give you grace. Go ahead. We know. <laughs> and then we finally say, okay, you watch the ball, and we'll tell you where it goes, okay? Because we always want to look up first, right? We want to see where that good shot's going to go. <laughs> well, you can't do that. If you watch video of a pro golfer, their head stays back here until the ball's long gone, and then they look up to see where it went. 
and it usually goes in much better places than my golf ball goes. As John the Beloved likes to say, my golf ball, instead of spending time in green pastures, often goes in still waters. <laughs> or not so still waters once my ball goes in. Have you ever heard of somebody describe a person as somebody like this? If he or she sets their mind to something, they can do anything. Are you one of those people? You have some friends, if they say they're going on a diet, they do it, right? And you say to them, man, come on, just have one cookie. <laughs> you ever been? <laughs> You're like a total stumbling block to them, right? Just have a cookie. You can't be all or nothing kind of person. Have a cookie. Have some balance in your life. Nope. And then I say, okay, I'll have yours. If you're not going to have it, I'll. <laughs> we get distracted by worry, the cares of this world, and they often choke our focus. And we have to cry out to God, oh, Lord, help me. I'm, I can be anxious. I know the Bible says to be anxious for nothing, but sometimes I'm anxious for everything. And so we need all the help we can get. Verse 3 says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The word hidden is krupto in Greek, and it means to conceal, to hide, to be hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are in Christ, and he's got you covered. Praise God. You don't have to worry. He's got you in his capable hand. And this idea of your life is hidden with Christ and God has the idea of some of the Psalms where it says, you are my hiding place, you are my shelter. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Hide me so that you are my refuge and strength. And, and those are the realities that we have in God. But the idea of hidden also means that the reality is often hidden to those around us. If I looked at a room of 500 people and I said, could I point out which ones are Christians just by looking at people? I can't always tell who's a Christian. Now, sometimes I have an idea when I meet somebody. You ever meet somebody and you go, are you a Christian? And they're like, oh, yeah. And you could just tell. But if you were to look at a room of hundreds of people, you can't. And I, some of you have halos. I know. Some of you are the exception. Oh, angels just sing over you. We, we know that. You guys will just put aside for a second. <laughs> but... Sometimes the reality of who we are is actually hidden from others. When will that be manifest? When will who we are truly be known? Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Right now we're in a battle. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared, not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. But right now, it's hidden. In what sense? We have, in theology, what's called an already, not yet. We are right with God. We have experienced a spiritual resurrection, but there's a not yet uh, feature to our salvation in that. I'm a Christian, but I haven't experienced all the fullness of my salvation. In that, I don't have a resurrection body yet. I haven't seen the Lord face to face yet. I am already a Christian, but there's a lot of things that are not yet. 
So I'm waiting for those things. And some of them are tied to the second coming. Some of them are tied to my own uh, time when I will leave this planet and be with the Lord. Therefore, in light of this, verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to five things in verse 5. All of them, I think most scholars agree, have to do with sexual sin. Verse 5 says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. If you have the NIV, it's, or the New King James, it says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature or whatever belongs to the members which are on the earth. And they are immorality. The Greek word here is pornea. Impurity. This is a word that speaks of moral filthiness. Passion, which could be positive or negative, but here it has the negative connotation. Evil desire and greed. Greed is often thought of just in the sense of money, but it can be greed for more and more and more experiences, and it could speak of sexual sin as well. In the ancient world, when pagans became Christians, their whole lives and even their religious system was tied to sexual immorality. And so what they did in the pagan temples and what they felt was acceptable, in fact, uh, because it was so much of their religious ceremony, sexual sin was not even seen the way it is today. And so they had, a, they had to break a lot of the thought patterns and a lot of the chains that were on them coming out of paganism. Because oftentimes you could, just to be blunt, you could go up to the temple and be with a temple prostitute and it was part of a religious ceremony. And so now you become a Christian and you start hearing about this idea of pornea. You, you start hearing that, you know, the Bible actually teaches that any relationship in that sense... Um, Outside of marriage is sin. And so if I were to ask you right now, how do you think our culture is doing with that area of life? Uh, not so good. And then if I were to ask you, how do you think the church is doing in that area? And I think if you were sitting at my desk week in and week out, I could tell you it's not always very positive. There's a lot of struggles that are going on with individuals I heard recently, it's not a matter of if kids see this stuff, but when, because of the advent of the internet and social media and all that's going on there. We have a battle, folks, and we're in it, and it's our kids, too. It's a battle. And Paul says, look, you've got to consider yourself dead to these things. You have to make a decision. This goes with your mindset. This goes with seeking things above. If you're going to seek things above, then you're going to put aside the things of the planet, the things of the earth, more specifically, the things of the world system. That's not your values anymore. But look, it's a struggle for Christians, and that's why we're talking about how do you live the high life? How do you keep going? I heard a teacher recently say that he heard of a practice in the Middle Ages. He wasn't sure if it was true or not, but there's at least a rumor about it that people in the Middle Ages would become Christians, they would get baptized, and then they would kill them. <laughs> How's that sound? Anybody want to join that church? And they said that the rumor around that practice was that once a person got saved, they were taking quite literally put to death the members of your body. <laughs> because they were the essence of the thinking was you got saved... And now you're not going to have to struggle with anything more. You just get saved, you die, you go to be with the Lord, and that's it. <laughs> I'm not sure any of us are signing up for that church. But this is how some people took it. 
And so the average American lives in, R. Kent Hughes says, in a sea of sensuality. Um, all you have to do is turn on some primetime television or, you know, news and you, you see what's going on. And I'm going to try to be careful because I know we have little ones in the room. And so uh, MacArthur says these words, a common sight in European cities during the Middle Ages was a group known as the Flagellants. Marching through the streets in solemn processions, they scourged themselves in penance for their sins. Uh, the, these are misinterpretations of the past. He said, this is MacArthur talking, he said, I once met a man who wore a belt studded with nails that constantly tore into his flesh. He felt that by doing so, he was killing the flesh as well as suffering to atone for his sins. Can you imagine that? I think I'll wear a belt with nails in it, so every now and then, just when I turn, oh, ooh, what's going on? Your back hurt? No, I got a nail-studded belt on. What? No, this, this is a spiritual battle, but of course it has practical realities. What you seek, frankly, just to be blunt, is up to you. Would you agree? What you focus on is up to you. If you want to sit in front of your computer for seven hours or watch TV, as Pastor Brian said, I guess the latest thing is binge-watching series on Netflix. If you want to do that, uh, people look at you. <laughs> you can do that. You can choose to focus on what you want to focus. But these things, you know, if our focus is wrong, these things get inflamed. And I'm not going to go into the detail of what's happening in America right now with this issue, but I'll just tell you, I think we all know what's going on, right? And something has to change. Verse 6. For on account of these things, the wrath of God will come. There's a variant reading here. New King James, it's a different manuscript family, says, is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Here's what we know. Reason number one, we should avoid these things verse, in verse 5, the five things in verse 5, is on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. People say, oh, here we go. Here they, here they go, those Christians talking about the wrath of God, the wrath of God. What's that about? Well, the wrath of God is actually tied to the holiness of God. And I'll say this to you. God has been extremely patient with the human race. Would you agree? He's been very patient with us. But he has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. And in 2 Peter, Peter says, oh, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking and they will say, where's the promise of his coming ever since the fathers fell asleep? All things remain the same. Ah, my grandma was talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Where is he? Oh, he's coming to a neighborhood near you. <laughs> Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And as I've said in the past, there's going to be two responses to the coming of Jesus. One is going to be, oh, yeah. And another one's going to be, How's that for high theology? <laughs> Which camp are you in? The oh yeah or the oh no's? <laughs> Verse 7. Now before I go to verse 7, just I want to remind you, you are not appointed unto wrath. 
but for salvation through Jesus Christ. You can write down 1 Thessalonians 5.9 where it says, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he wants us to live as people who are anticipating his coming. And in them, verse 7, reason number 2 we shouldn't do these five things in verse 5 is that you once walked this way when you were living in them. That's how you used to live. Christian uh, says, C.H. Spurgeon, what has thou to do with sin? Hath it not cost thee enough already? Burnt child, will thou play with fire? What? When thou has already been between the jaws of the lion, will thou step a second time into his den? Hast thou not had enough of the old serpent? Did he not poison all thy veins once? And will thou play upon the hole of the asp? And put thy hand upon the cockatrice's den, old language, a second time. Oh, be not so mad, so foolish. Did sin ever yield thee real pleasure? Didst thou find solid satisfaction in it? If so, go back to thine old drudgery and wear the chain again, if it delight thee. But inasmuch as sin did never give thee what it promised to bestow, but deluded thee with lies, be not a second time snared by the old fowler, be free. And let the remembrance of the ancient bondage forbid thee to enter the net again, close quote. That's good, isn't it? But it's hard sometimes in moments when we're facing temptation. And have you ever had one of those moments where as a Christian, life gets a little hard, sledding gets a little tough, and you go, I remember the good old days. <laughs> when, when what? What did that really yield you? Think about it. For me, aching emptiness, guilt. Oh, yeah, there were moments of pleasure. Sin is fun for a season. Let's be honest. But in the end, it leads to what? To death. And it doesn't really produce anything that's positive. But now, here's what you have to do. You have to put them all aside, verse 8. And here's a second list of five things. These have to do more with personal relationships. You have to put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech, which literally means shameful words, obscene, foul speech intended to hurt and wound somebody from your mouth. Put these all aside. Uh, just throw them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. This is the idea of taking off old clothing, which has been soiled, if you played in a mud football game and you came home, you would want to get rid of those clothes and either wash them or burn them, right? Depending on if you could get them clean. That's the idea. Anger. And there's a lot of people with an anger problem is deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. What does that produce for you? Oh, nothing. Nothing good. The second word there is wrath. Wrath is passion. It's illustrated. It's the Greek word thumos. It's illustrated in breathing hard. <laughs> Anybody ever do that on the freeway? <laughs> Can I get a witness? I do that after every golf shot I take. <laughs> Want to choke the golf club. Some years ago, we owned a condo in Anaheim Hills, and we, had, we moved to Corona. It was back in the mid-'90s. 
and the, the market wasn't good, the housing market wasn't good, so we tried to rent the condo, but we owed too much on it, so we needed too much rent, so other than like one renter, we had a whole litany of uh, not-so-good renters, and this one guy stayed in the house, kept making excuses, ended up owing me, you know, fifteen to $20,000. When it was all said and done, I had to get a marshal to go to the house, and finally got him out of the house after like a year of going back and forth. And so I was playing racquetball with my racquetball buddies, a lot of them non-Christians. And I said, I told him the story. I said, this guy played games with me. He lied to me. He owes me thousands of dollars. He stiffed me. I'm probably never going to see that money. And one of the racquetball players looked at me, and I had been witnessing to him, and he said, just say the word and we'll take care of it. (laughs) And I went, hmm. Just prior to that, you know, when somebody's doing this kind of stuff to you, lying about you, manipulating you, taking food off of your table, I, I remember I was driving down the street imagining this man's face and choking my steering wheel. Confessions of a pastor in Southern California in the city of Corona. <laughs> that happens to pastors? Praise the Lord! Yeah, it does. Squeezing the steering wheel. I put those little divots in it. <laughs> and so when they said that, just say the word and we'll take care of it, I went, hmm. <laughs> just for a moment, though, I want you guys to know. It was a brief period of time. I... And I said, well, that sounds intriguing, but I don't think that'd be very good for my pastoral career <laughs> if... Uh, Eventually, it comes out in the newspaper that I sent uh, a squad in black suits to this guy's door, and it didn't go so well for him, even though I appreciate the gesture. (laughs) Maybe we'll send him cookies instead. I don't know. Frederick Buechner says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that when you are, what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you, close quote. Sometimes you're mad at somebody and they have no idea, right? And you're... <laughs> They have no clue. And even if they knew, what good would that do? See, these are the things that we must put off. We are not to open the door to the devil, says Martin Lloyd-Jones. When you lose your temper, you you open it wide. It could not be wider. Nothing opens the door more widely than anger for this good reason. The moment you are controlled by your temper, you are no longer able to reason. You are no longer able to think. You, cannot, you can no longer give balanced judgment, for you are altogether biased on one side against the other side. In other words, the power to reason and to think and to equate and evaluate all that makes man man is gone. For the time being, he is like a beast, the creature of his own passion and in an, in, of an instinctive kind of power. Just think about how many things have been done in a moment of rage and anger and temper that people regret for the rest of their lives. Instead of seeking things above, of course, we see what happens. We start seeking vengeance or 
stuff like that. And of course, the list in verse 8, you can see it. It's not a pretty list. It includes slander. It includes abusive speech. Those things need to go out of our mouth. And we're not to lie, verse 9, to one another. Since you laid aside the old self, literally anthropon, which is uh, the idea of man. So it's the old man with its evil practices. And have put on the new self or the new man who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Here's the already not yet. We have, look at verse 10, we have put on the new man. But in another way, we have to still keep putting on the new man. How many of you remember the old Superman movies when he had to change in a phone booth? You guys remember that? I asked my wife, why did Superman change in a phone booth? She goes, because phone booths were everywhere. It was a, a thing that you could easily access. And, and so Superman would kind of do one of these. Hold on a minute. Here I come to save the day, but I got to change really quick. And he'd go into the phone booth and come out. The S on his chest. No more glasses. <laughs> right? We have to find our spiritual phone booth. Sometimes when you're tempted to respond a certain way, just say, hold on a minute. <laughs> find your spiritual phone booth. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be over here for a minute. Give me, give me a minute. Now, you're, you're going to have a tough time finding phone booths in these days. But what you can find is a place just to take a spiritual breath. Something like this. Oh, Lord, everything in me wants to respond this way. But you've told me to seek things above. So here I am. Help. SOSs that go up to heaven get answered. He'll provide a way of escape. But we have to make a decision in that time to say to the old man, get off me. <laughs> And to the new man, Lord, I want to live like you. Scholars have said that you have to see these ideas of old man and new man, not as your father. Don't call your father your old man. I don't appreciate that, all right? I just want you guys. <laughs> but they say that the scholars, the scholars say that the old man is Adam and the new man is Jesus. We used to be in Adam. In Adam, all die. The old man is Adam. He is the federal head of the corporate identity Everybody who's in Adam is going to die. The new man is Christ, and everybody who's in Christ is made alive. So scholars say that we have to be careful that there's an individual aspect to the old man and new man, but there's also a corporate identity, a federal headship. Adam's the federal head of the old man who fell to sin, blew it, didn't protect his wife, didn't stand between her and the enemy. The new man is Christ who did everything that we need to do, and so we got to be in the new man. And the new man is pictured as clothing. Sometimes people will see me around the church or at other places. I'll have a baseball cap on and shorts, and they'll go, Pastor Michael, I barely recognized you. And I'll say, why? I think I'm still the same person as far as I know. They say, well, I, you got a ball cap on and shorts, and... Man, you don't look like Pastor Michael. You know why? Because normally when you guys see me, I'm dressed like this, sometimes in a tie. And so they say clothing does make the man or the woman. You, you get used to seeing people in a certain set of clothes, right? It kind of defines them. And so this is what it means to be a Christian. You've got to put on the clothing of the new man and discard the clothing of the old man. You've got to get rid of the ways of Adam and put on the ways of Jesus so you can become a mature person in Christ Jesus.
The Puritan Thomas Goodwin said, there are but two men that are seen standing before God, Adam and Jesus Christ. And these two men have all other men hanging at their girdles, close quote. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. Amen. But the reality of the Christian struggle is sometimes I walk like I'm in Christ and sometimes I walk just like I'm in Adam. Ashamed, trying to, you know, sew together fig leaves and that kind of stuff. Verse 11, we'll move quickly. A renewal, here's the corporate nature of this idea, in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. The church is the corporate identity of the new man. And so one of the things that has to go is cultural prejudices. Just write down Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, where it says, Jesus has made the two groups into one new man. He's made the two one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. Barbarians and Scythians, the Greeks looked down on them quite a bit. In fact, the barbarians got their name from Greeks who would look at people who could not speak Greek Greek, and what it sounded like to them is that they're going like this. Bar, 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 bar. Barbarians. And Scythians were even worse. They treated people terrible in war. Um, they were looked down upon. In fact, they would take their enemies. I'm sorry to gross you out. Scalp them. Then they would use their skull to drink their blood. I'm sorry, but you kind of needed to hear that because Scythians and barbarians were coming into the church and they were sitting together at the potluck. <laughs> I'm not sitting at the Scythian table. Those people do unspeakable things. I don't know. He might be in Adam. He might be in Christ at the potluck. This is serious stuff. You think, well, there are some people in the church I just don't click with. You ever sat next to a Scythian? <laughs> How about Babar, the barbarian? <laughs> bar, 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 that's all I ever hear, bar. And the church was supposed to be this one new man in Christ showing love to the world. And so he says, and so as those who have been chosen by God, you're the people of God in Christ, holy and beloved, and that's what you are. Put on, oh, here's what you're going to need with the Scythians at the potluck. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Here's what you need to put on. Put off the other things, the anger stuff, the sexual immorality stuff, and put on these things. Put on compassion. Put on kindness. Wear it like a garment. Put on humility. Five things again in verse 12. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the positives. These are the things that show forth a Christian in who we are. In the days before smoking sections on planes, a passenger started to light a cigar when the stewardess informed that him that cigar smoking was not allowed unless it was all right with the other person in the immediate area. So the question was asked, do you object to his smoking? She asked the woman seated next to the man. She said, I absolutely detest cigars with a stony reply. The stewardess then spoke to a young man near the front of the cabin and came, and came back to report that he would not mind sitting next to the cigar smoker. As the cigar smoking man walked forward to his new seat, his former seatmate, the boisterous woman, turned to the stewardess and confided, I've been married to that man for 30 years. 
and I still can't stand his awful cigars. Put him in another seat. Scythian, barbarian. <laughs> Here's what we're called to do. We're called to bear with one another and forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Oh, the sweeping language of the Bible is so cramping my lifestyle. Wait, let's read it again. Bear with one another, forgive each other. Whoever, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Ow. <laughs> but there it is. And beyond all these things, put on the garment of love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You ever come to the end of a day and went, that was perfect. It's perfect. It's probably pretty rare for most of us, right? We could always find something. It would have been perfect. <laughs> but, but when you put on love, you are putting on Jesus because God is love. And we're told in Romans 13, 14, just write it down. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Here's where we've put on, but we still need to put on. And we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Every time we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we put on love. We put on his eyes. We put on his power. You've sat here, listened to a message for about 50 minutes. Thank you for your patience. But do you know what you've just done? If you're willing to receive it, you just put on more of the Lord Jesus. It's the metaphors like clothing. You've just put on more of the things of the kingdom. And you've ascended a little higher. That's part of the reason that you should come to church. It's not the only reason. You should come to serve and to worship and to honor God. But this is what happens. You put on love. And love holds everything together. Who do you need to love a little bit better this week? Who do you need to change your view? Maybe you've become a little bit embittered toward a person. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you've been struggling with an individual and you've become so negative with that person. You can't see them with a balanced eye anymore. You can't. You're going to have to be honest with God. You're going to have to say, Lord, give me your eyes for this person again because my view is convoluted right now. I admit it. I want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to love people who don't just love me. Jesus said, what reward is that? What credit is that to you if you just love those who love you? These are the things of the Christian life that are so hard, but they can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for every precious soul that's here. Thank you for this section of scripture, which is illuminating. And it's really bound up in two things. Seeking things above and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And putting off the things that so easily entangle us, Lord. Even as believers, we want to rise higher, Lord. And so we're asking that you'll give us grace. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you forgive us so readily of sins we commit every day. And we pray that our eyes would be open 
to how you look at people. Let us put on our spiritual glasses. Let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be the people of Christ in corporate community, showing the world this God of love. How can we do that unless we're unified? How can we do that unless we're one? So let us lay down the things that hinder us from being a witness to that world, Lord, that is watching. Let us put aside any petty differences, any unforgiveness in our hearts, anything of wrath and malice, anything we've been chewing on. Let us let it go and help us to put on the things that connect to Jesus, compassion, kindness, humility, love, all those things. Love holds it all together. Let all we do be done in love.